With all of the stress and confusion going on in the world right now, I thought it would be a good idea to repurpose some of my old audio story content. For those of you that don't know me, you may not know that before I became a voice actor and podcast producer, I had a business called Mindspace. We won't go into super detail about it here, but I created a complimentary podcast dedicated to outlining human emotion and having conversations with people in my life. During this time in our lives, my husband and I were living in an RV on the coast of Oregon while he worked at the Bureau of Land Management. So, you know, when the husband's away, make a podcast. I'm a huge fan of Jab Abumrad's production style with Radiolab, so I took some time to emulate my podcast and the conversations I was having after what he did on his shows. I still go back and listen to these stories and discussions with my friends and family members because they truly moved me. My audio chops have come a long way, but it's fun and interesting to go back and hear how I did things three years ago. But from an online content creator perspective, repurposing content is super useful and important for making your old content work for your business. And these discussions are super relevant to what's going on in the world right now. Plus, it reminds me of all of the creativity inside of me, and hopefully listening to these will do the same for you. I've edited these episodes down and given them new life. To listen to more, click the Creator Series category on the right sidebar of my website. And if you're looking to collaborate on projects or need help repurposing your old audio content, reach out to me at hello at melaniescroggins.com. Welcome to the Creator Series. I'm going to open up the series with a conversation I had with Dr. Donna Ballard of UT Austin. We talk about our relationship to time and how it affects us both culturally and globally. Here's my conversation with Donna. Time. Sixty seconds in a minute. Sixty minutes in an hour. Twenty-four hours in a day. Seven days in a week. Three hundred and sixty-five days in a year. When observed closely, time creeps and crawls like a sloth up and down the limbs of a tree. When unnoticed, it zooms past, showing age and decay, to let you know something indeed has happened. What fascinates me the most about the ever-elusive behavior of time is its origins for us here in the States. One of my favorite episodes of the podcast Radio Lab discusses how we started to keep time differently once the railroad came along. It wasn't until the mid to late 1800s, when the railroad was first commissioned, that we had a collective need for a physically measurable way of keeping time, besides the rising and setting of the sun. Though a good start, the way in which we kept time was far from perfect. One town along the railroad may have deemed the time 3.20 p.m. on any given afternoon, while one town over may have said, Why no, sir, you are mistaken. The clock says 3.30 p.m. What's a few minutes, right? Now, while clocks at a station or other public places are still in use, they seem to be a way of the past. With our computers, smartphones, smartwatches, televisions, and even Alexa keeping us on track, there's little use for the old-fashioned way of keeping time. 
and we think we do it oh so well. My main reason for discussing time today was to focus on this new way of living, the 24-7 lifestyle. Because we have so many ways of keeping and telling time, it's a wonder our heads don't explode. We live in a world, specifically in a culture, where if you stop for a few seconds, we feel as if we're already behind. Today, we will deconstruct this idea and discuss practical ways to avoid the all-encompassing, never-stopping, 24-7 lifestyle. We'll talk about how to not lose yourself in the mix. After all, there will be another round of seconds, minutes, hours, and days waiting for us, whether we're keeping time or not. God willing. I am from Southern California, from a little little town or area of, of Southern California called the Inland Empire. And it's actually where the seeds for my interest in studying this really germinated. As a dedicated scholar, professor, and mother, Donna Ballard has a unique understanding of what time is, what it means, and how we respond to time. So I'll sort of fast forward to undergrad, and we read some work by an anthropologist in my intercultural communication class um, by a man named Edward Hall. And I was just in shock that there, what he said and what he wrote about is there's more than one way to view time, to value time, to organize time, to interact with others, especially that was probably the key. Time being such an elusive and often seemingly combative and visible force in our lives, I had to know the origins of where the desire to learn more about time and how it affects our lives and relationships began to surface in Donna's life. That there was more than one way to structure relationships with regard to time. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is the thing that my whole life, I wish my family had known. But from a very early age, I recall my mother was very relational oriented and she was doing lots of different projects and had lots of different events and lots of different communities that she was a part of. And she was often late to events. And um, my grandmother, who was, you know, she had fewer communities. She was also retired. And she would complain constantly about my mother. And there'd be all this conflict over her being late to just family events. I mean, it's not like my mom was necessarily late to, like, something that she's a nurse practitioner. So she wasn't, like, late to work. It wasn't that. It was just, you know multiple things like church or stuff like this. And, and so the conflict over it, I always thought was just ridiculous. And it, for me, ruined a lot of family events because they, she'd be late and there'd be this argument. And I just thought, is it really that serious? And so when I realized, oh my gosh, 
there's not just one right way. You know, I, I always thought that my grandmother, like that was the standard and that she was being hard on my mom for not meeting the standard. But I realized there's not a standard. There's, there's as many times, Hall later says, there's as many different times as there are people. So when I discovered this, I've just not stopped studying it. I've read one article by him and that was it. One article and that was it. Have you ever had a moment like that where you hear or read something and think, huh, yeah, I like that. I want to know more. That's what happened with Donna. After hearing about her epiphany in that small moment in time, I naturally had to ask if she knew the direction her professional life would take in that same moment. I didn't. Oh, that would be great if I did, right? If you, <laughs> life doesn't work that way. Actually, what, what it was, and, and that's why I, I encourage people to just, you know, to, to not worry so much about having some grand plan of what their life is going to be because it often things happen just through paying attention and noticing what moves you. And so I ended up going to grad school in organizational communication. And my original goal was to get a doctorate so I could go be a management consultant, you know, flying around the world, making tons of money. And <laughs> that was a big part of that. And so my advisor said, well, what interests you? And I said, well, I don't know. There was this one, this article that I did some work on in undergrad and I did a senior thesis on it. I said, that's interesting. And, and I said, but I don't know what, you know, what I can do with that. And he said, well, just, why don't you just write a paper about it? And so I just, that was my first paper in grad school. There was not a lot of expectation behind it. It was just a paper. And he was like, these are, these are some interesting ideas. There's a lot of places you can go with that. Literally, I did that one paper. Then it was like, okay, we'll write the next paper and then the next paper and then the master's thesis and then the dissertation. And then, yeah. And I just realized that it's even beyond what Hall originally studied in terms of across cultures, but just for individuals, there's, there's the role of time and our quality of life is so central that I just feel like I plan to study it forever. I mean, yeah. I am fascinated not only by the idea of time and how we use it on a daily basis, but where it came from, why it's important to us, and why we get so caught up in our standard of time. When Donna and I were first trying to find a good day and time to record, we met some hangups along the way. Donna thought our struggle with figuring out the best time to record was so pertinent to this conversation. I had her explain its significance through the lens of someone intimately familiar with the nuances of time and how our timing difficulty directly relates to so many other issues we face in regard to time and our expectations of ourselves and others. So part of this issue with time is the fact that we collectively create those social relationships around time. Like there's not one truth or one way of being. And so we get to, as people, as members of a community in our relationships, we get to decide how we will use time because it's something that we just kind of are creating as we go along. And so we can use time to coordinate, but we don't have to use time to discipline. 
And, and so our negative relationships with time comes from having forgotten that this is just a tool. It's just like if you have a, a toolbox and you have hammers and wrenches and you know screwdrivers, there's a lot of things and depends upon what you want to do as to which tool you use or even how you'll use that tool, right? A hammer has more than one way to use it. And, and so what happened in our initial um, correspondence is we, you know, we just had this bigger plan of December, I think was the goal uh, to have the, this conversation. And December happens to be for, like for a lot of faculty, probably the busiest time of the entire year. <laughs> it's just, it, I mean, it's just beyond, because you have both the end of the school year and then you have, um, if you have like, you know, I have a young daughter and then you have all these family obligations and school obligations to at her school and it just becomes insanity. So I ended up getting, <laughs> so I think maybe one time we pushed it back a day and then I ended up getting sick. But I really felt this, um, this commitment to this date, to this time that I really wanted to. And so I just kind of sat with that, also knowing that whatever, like the cold, that they tend to get worse if you don't rest. Like, the, like a cold has its own time that is totally independent of our calendars. You just rest and hydrate. There's not a lot you can do other than taking time. It's literally like that's the cure for the common cold is literally taking time and drinking water, you know? And so then I just offered it to you because I didn't know what other external constraints you had. It's like, hey, do you want to move forward? I may not sound great. There's really nothing I can do about how I sound. Or if you're willing to reschedule, that would be lovely. Um, but if I understand either way, and you were so kind, and you were just like, yeah, that's fine. And you were, and you were so sweet about it too. And it was just, I thought, a wonderful example of how we can, even though there's all sorts of ways in which big institutional societal structures constrain us in time, but there's so many little everyday ways that we can be liberated from things that we don't recognize that. And, and just offering to a colleague to reschedule something if they're not feeling well is like such a gift because you're literally like, that's a gift of health, like literally, because no one feels good in a common cold. And even though you struggle through it, you know, it's just miserable. Yeah. So I just thought that was such a great example of a really simple, but incredibly powerful way to regain our sense of agency in time and to not have this misbelief that, oh, time is this thing that does things to us. No, time doesn't do anything. We make choices in our relationships that do things to us. So that's why I thought it was just so perfect the way it unfolded. This episode, our primary focus is on time, specifically this new wave of a 24-7 lifestyle. I asked Donna where this came from and why some believe they truly don't have autonomy when it comes to their time. There are things that constrain our behavior that are, that are larger and really powerful. Um, and so pacers do, and, and I, I talk about pacers in this way, and in fact, uh, the, one of the Nobel laureates from 2017 
was a biologist who studied this notion of biological pacers. And we in, in social science have talked about the social pacers that really structure our lives. So we can all relate to like the cold is a biological pacer, but the day, right? A diurnal cycle is a powerful pacer to our lives. But our work schedule, which a lot of people don't have control over, is a pacer. And everyone isn't afforded the ability to reschedule. That's why it was, you know, why it was so lovely that, well, okay, when you do, you make that choice. But there are people who are in low security jobs who, you know, make minimum wage and who might even feel like they would risk their job for calling off sick. That's not an uncommon thing. So there are external societal factors that are powerful forces in our decisions. And with the 24-7 lifestyle, what's happening is where those pacers used to shut down um, and they would then also be left at the office, we now carry those with us and they don't shut down. So even there's research, early work on just what electric lighting did. If you just think about that, that, you know, at a certain point, you, you can only do so much with candlelight. And that one of the, like, that was a pretty huge shift in human history to just be able to work whenever we want to work. But yeah, so just the simple electric light made a difference or electricity made a difference, but now, we're far beyond just that, where you know the machines aren't at work. We can log on and access that information. And so the expectations to do so then shift. And that's, the, and that's where what I talked about earlier is the temporal commons. I don't know if I use that word, but it's, it's a word that some scholars have used, but how you and I shaped a, a temporal commons where we were, you know, respecting the life cycle of the cold, of the common cold, and decided, okay, we're going to make a choice like that. Well, you know, that broader commons that decides, well, I can access my email or I can access whatever kind of work that is 24 hours a day, so I will, and I'll expect my employees to do so. That's very real, and it and it's um, it's very real, and it's people aren't making that up, and so finding agency and places where you don't have to adhere to that becomes even more important. Dr. Ballard has spoken to many groups about work-life balance and how she really doesn't believe it exists. Instead, she likes to use the metaphor of being in or out of alignment. I had her explain why. Well, because number one, the underlying reason for that metaphor had to do more with machines. It's like two things and you're weighing them. And the notion of work-life balance was never taught or, or not work-life balance, but just work versus life. That all started with the factories that never existed. So that's just something that was used to get people to leave themselves their life outside of the work that was part of de-skilled labor. And so we don't want to, we don't want to replicate and continue to honor this idea that we have our work in one place and our life in another and never the two shall meet. Like we don't want to honor that because that's not how a lot of people feel about their work. 
even if you want to have a nine to five job, you still are going to bring your whole life to your work, right? Whatever's happening in your life matters. So, um, and whatever your work is matters to your quality of life. So we, we don't, that boundary is less valuable for the employee. And so the reason that I talk about alignment is it gets to the heart of what I think people are looking for when they think about balance. And, you know, a person can balance, like that, that is something a person can do. But if you think about what people really do, balance is fine, but what about just the way you move through the world? And if you move through the world where those various parts of yourself, and there's not just two, and they're all interconnected, and what happens to one part affects the other part, like all of that matters more to our quality of life and having those things work together. And it, and it also lets us off the hook because, you know, I do like to talk and think about agrarian work is there's times where agrarian work is just very grueling and it's not, it's not easy. It's not um, what you would call balanced in any way. It's just super intense and, and miserable. And so like, you just have to do what, cause that's a natural pacer, right? So the crops and when they have to be um, attended to, is just like, we don't dictate that. That is an external pacer we have no control over and you have to do it when you have to do it. And so work is sometimes, it's gonna probably be that way. Um, and when I talk about work, I really don't even just mean our careers. I just mean, you know, life, there's nothing wrong with work and part of life is the working part of it. And so if, if you have a kid and they're sick, you gotta, do what you have to do. Um, there's, it's may not be ideal. Like humans are, have never been convenient. There's nothing really convenient and orderly about being human. You know, it's a super inconvenient thing. And so just like my cold, right? It's just a super inconvenient thing. And so I like alignment because it just gets us to let ourselves off the hook with the fact that sometimes we're going to have overdone it and we'll be out of alignment, but we all know how to get back into alignment. We all instinctively, or, or hopefully, we have some instinctive idea, oh, I, I, I kind of overdid it, I need to take a break, I need to rest. So then you're like, okay, and then I can recover that alignment and move forward, whereas balance, people just gave up on it, because they were like, how am I supposed to do that? And then it became, like a feather in your cap of a thing to achieve and I'm so balanced and it just, and that's not, we don't accomplish life. We just live life. There's no accomplishment that we can look at and dust off because it's always moving. So yeah. And so alignment is about always moving and balance to me just seems so static. Like ever you're just standing still or, you know, it's just not a thing that, that is typically what you think of when you think about a fast paced life. It was sometime in the eighties and it was, it was just some, it was like in like a, just like a newspaper article. It was just a popular press kind of, yeah. And someone threw it out and it just stuck. That seems to happen to us a lot, doesn't it? The internet is swarming with every opinion and teeny tiny minuscule bit of information under the sun that some people often adopt as fact. We like the way it sounds or the way a certain phrase makes us feel or the way that Instagram pic really is what we want, right? 
We don't often take a second to think about how it will make us feel in the future when it becomes something we allow to shape the way we live. The issue with work-life balance seems to be that it allows us to think we have control. So when we feel out of control, we default to, well, my work-life balance is out of whack, instead of, maybe there's something about me that is out of whack. It's the perception of control that we're trying to understand and manage. I had Donna share with me some practical ways that you can start taking control back when it comes to your time. And guess what? You can start today. The thing about this is I study this in part because I'm trying to figure this out. I do like trying things. Like I really like working on this because I find that it is so important to my sense of, um, well, sanity, number one, but just even effectiveness. Like no one likes to feel always harried and you're out of control, right? You like to feel like there's some sense of pacing that is manageable that you can control. And so I, there's a few different ways. So one bigger thing that I've done that I, I hope people learn to do when they're younger than I is to say no to things. So I've, I've heard that, that millennials have a FOMO, fear of missing out, and that it's right. And I so get that because as a scholar, I have that too, where people will come, with, come to me with a project and, you know, there's a lot of different time projects and they'll be like, hey, what about this? I'm like, yes, that's interesting. Let's do that. And then someone else, what about this? And it becomes like, oh my goodness, you know, I've, I've totally overcommitted and now I've structured my life in this totally insane way. And so I've learned to say, to have a, a helpful no to people where I sometimes say, you know, not right now, but perhaps in, and I might say, you know, in, in a year at this time or in a semester at this time or the other helpful no is suggesting someone else who'd be really great at it. Cause then that's really like, you know, creating an opportunity for someone else. So sometimes I'll say, I can't do it, but I know someone who would probably be, you know, great at that and who it's right up their alley. And so that's a thing where I can still honor the fact that, wow, this is really interesting, but I'm literally just looking at, what I have before me. And the key that has helped me to say no is figuring out once I figured out that when I say yes to everything, I'm saying no to everything. I am simultaneously saying fuck you to everything else that I've planned, you know? And so when I realize that I don't, I no longer feel like the bad guy. I feel, and I sometimes will tell people, you know, I just finished, um, a really important project, the, the, the most important in my, in my heart that I've ever done. I, I studied child abuse investigation teams at the Children's Advocacy Centers of Texas, and they literally are the angels of the world. They literally, they, you know, they take kids out of dangerous situations. They prosecute people like they are just, you know, they help with the long-term healing. Yeah. And so I was, I had this big grant with them and it took every resource I had. And um, that was probably one of the things that enabled me to say no to people. As I was like, I would just say, I'm doing this work that's so important. 
and I can't jeopardize this work by overextending myself. And so now, even though that project has drawn to completion, I realized it was a great lesson for me. It was easier for me to say no when I had, you know, when I realized that I would be saying no to these kids, to the workers, because it was actually the team members that, that I was working directly with. And so I've just used that and remembered that I'm always saying um, no to something if I say yes to something else, because I'm not a robot. There are a finite number of hours. Um, there are finite amount of energy that I even have to expend. And so that's number one with boundaries. If you just realize that saying yes to everything is saying fuck you to everything at the same time, um, then it kind of helps, you know? And when you think about those things that you love, you don't want to say no to the things that you love. So that's, that's the, probably the biggest one um, and more macro oriented. Um, and then in terms of other boundaries, I, I actually have learned to get away um, from what I'm doing, like to physically, I'm not at the office and I will, you know, I've, people have requested meetings even during this, it's kind of a holiday-ish time, but it's not, I'm, I'm still working. But, you know, being away from the office is one thing that can help. Or even as, a, as someone who has a young daughter, eight years old, um, when I'm here, you know, and I'm the only person in the world that can help her. So she thinks. And so I've learned to, to get away. A fun thing that I did was I actually stayed at my neighbor's Airbnb. I have the maternal pool. Of, oh, I don't want to, you know, I, I kind of don't want to leave. I love being there. But I literally could look down at my house. <laughs> and so for two days and two nights, I got to write when I wanted to. I could just stay up as late as I wanted to because I knew I didn't have to get up early because I'm really a night owl. And so for me, if I'm going to get lots of work done, I need to be able to stay up late and not have to wake up early. And so like that was a, a simple boundary. And so it taught her, I think, that, hey, mama loves you. And I just said, hey, I have some work I have to get done. So I'm going to go stay next door for a couple days. But then also I've taken windows of time. So this is at the more micro level now of just refusing to multitask. If someone, if I'm in the middle of doing something and someone asks me to do something else, I'll just say no, not until I finish what I'm doing. And so simply saying, and not in a, in a rude or a difficult way, but as soon as I finish this, I will be happy to do that. And doing that has been just a really micro level boundary in the moment so that I can just be present for what I'm doing and not allow other things to always set my pace. Because it always, always goes back to the pacers. It's what is pacing you. There's always something. There's, and that was a phone call, a phone call in the middle of a podcast. <laughs> Let me turn that ringer off. <laughs> There's always things looking to, to like enter into your time, right? And to then take that away. And so hitting the decline button, you know, just, just deciding that I'm going to finish this one thing before I do the next thing has felt like such a luxury. It has felt just heavenly sometimes to say that and to say it in a kind way and people get it. Time is something we can all relate to. 
We can understand the struggle others face and the desire to do better with the time we have. Because time is a universal aspect of our lives and we all view and experience time differently, I wanted to hear from you, what time means to you and how you spend your time. At the end of your message, press one. Time has changed for me since I got the news of cancer. Before it was how many things can I cram in a day? I always made time for people when they stopped by to visit, but my mind was always thinking I need to move on. Since my surgeries and recovery, time has a very weird presence. I go a while, say a week or so, and things flow. I accomplish tasks and I get things done and it all feels good. But then it's like there's a payback and a few days will just speed by so fast. I can't really remember what all happened. So I record my daily actions and events to make sure I keep a grip on my reality and to keep my feet grounded. I take time to breathe now, and I am fully present when I visit with people. I've learned over the past year and a half to sleep. I have to let the worry go, and I rest. My fears, my plans, my dreams, my lists will still be there upon waking. And if for some reason one day I don't, well, I will be in a much better place, and time will have no meaning. It will just be me praising my God on key beautifully forever and ever. Time is, is an unmanageable, uncontrollable, and unrelenting rogue entity or force that advances measurably from the past directly to the present and then on into the future with no regard or consideration for anything or anyone in this carnal world. I'm unable to manage time, so I choose to manage my priorities instead. I fail frequently. Given that definition, I find it impossible to spend time. Instead, I have learned that I should be advancing along with it and help others advance along also. So I do my best in advancing my relationship with Katie, my wonderful wife, and my family. I advance my spiritual life with more and better fellowship with the Lord. Serving other folks by helping them advance as I advance through time seems to be quite rewarding too. It seems to me that since time is always moving forward, I should also, and help others along the way. Seeing as how the full armor of God only has parts that cover the front of the body, there is no need for retreat. So, advance. There you have it. Love you, Melanie. Have fun with it. Bye. Time is the currency of humanity. Before mites, pounds, or dollars, time is what was spent to indicate meaning. The meaning of others in our lives, the meaning of passion to our hearts, and the meanings of community to our existence. As the world continues to form new forms of currency, I'm constantly reminded that time spent on someone or something is the original form of relational currency. And just like dollars, there is inevitably a finite amount. My name is Christopher Scroggins. I am Melanie's brother-in-law. Time to me, simply put, is the period between life and death and everything you do with it during that period. To me, time is most important, is the time most important to me, is the time I spend with the people I love. Doesn't matter what we're doing, as long as we're enjoying each other's company. That is what's most precious to me in life. Also, the time I spend in solitude, because that is the time I get to reflect, process, and think free of influence or suggestion. And what I do with my time, I gotta flip my index card over, 
my notes. I spend most of my time playing video games, watching TV, sleeping, working, walking, writing, and contemplating the mysteries of the universe because who doesn't? That's all, thank you. Because I tend to add so much into my life, I have to budget my time wisely. So I try to schedule it out and uh, be a good steward with my time and uh, be realistic with what fits in and what doesn't. In uh, homeschooling, I made a huge calendar and put in blocks of uh, all the classes we were trying to fill in and had this huge calendar of how, how we were to juggle everything. Unfortunately, I'm not great at it. I cram too much in and it never completely works out, so I'm always tweaking it and trying to find the balance. But at least I have something I'm striving for. Now with going to school and running a farm and everything else I'm trying to do, it, um, I, I'm back at it again, trying to find a way to uh, budget out my time and be a good steward with it so that I can accomplish everything I want to accomplish. Time. I think what I like to do most with my time is spend it with Donald. Every minute that I can, no matter what we do, it's just precious to me. Spending time with family and people I love. And, and in order for me to get where I want to go, I want to make jewelry, make things. We just, Don makes his things, I make it my things. We just, everything we do, we do it together. And I love that. Time is precious. And I, I it's wonderful. Love you. Bye. So, what time means to me? Generally, time means a lot to me. Since about a year, I'm working 40 hours a week and I'm not in love with it. I like what I do and I'm kind of on this road to something that is career-oriented, but I'm not quite sure what that means to me yet. And so I'm trying to figure it out and I've told myself that I'm going to give it at least two years working full-time and investing a lot of energy into my career, trying to figure out what that's going to mean to me or for me. And I am learning mostly during this time that I would much rather spend my time doing something else, such as spending time around the people that I love, doing things that are benefiting me in some way, such as being creative and um, being productive and yeah and just doing things that I enjoy doing. Hello my name is Jeremy. I am the husband of the podcast er, (laughs) that you're listening to. Time to me is kind of a weird thing. I never really think about time unless I'm thinking about time if that makes any sense at all. So like right now, I'm standing uh, at Yaquina Head Outstanding Natural area in an area called Quarry Cove, and I'm just watching the waves crash up on the rocks here at low tide. And it just seems like time is not a concept. But in a lot of other times during the day, whether it's clock time or just any time treating time as a commodity is is when I think about it as as an actual concept and usually when I do it just stresses me out 
I find that whenever I don't think about time, uh, I'm having a good time. My favorite thing to do with my time is to hang out with my wife and lose track of time. Honestly, we could be doing nothing but just sitting there and be just loving it. It's actually usually the most fun we have is when there are no distractions and we're just purely in each other's company and we just don't care how long it takes. I don't know how many times we've been sitting at a breakfast place at the table. We're one of those couples that'll just sit there for hours and not know we're sitting there for hours. So sorry if it's busy and you're waiting for that table. When I think about time, I think about spending time. When I get to the office on Monday morning, the conversation always begins with, what did you do this weekend? In other words, how did you spend your time? If time is then something we can spend, then maybe we can think of time as currency. Time is not a respecter of persons. Bill Gates and Warren Buffett have the same opportunity to spend time as a person homeless on the streets. Maybe not the same opportunities as to how to spend time, but everyone has time to spend. We talk about time as if it were an investment. If we spend time doing something we enjoy, we say, it was worth the time. In other words, we made a profit. In the same way, if we do something and regret the time we spent doing it, we say, we wasted our time. You might say, in this case, we took a loss. With that in mind, I have to say these few minutes making this recording were well worth my time because it was a great question asked by someone I love, my daughter Melanie. Because of that, I think it was time well spent. In other words, I have made a profit. So I guess the lesson for me is to invest my time wisely while I still have time to spend. Maybe now we can think of time as not simply what our phones tell us or where we have to be later today, but a means of gathering moments and experiences. After all, as time goes on, we'll have a much harder go of it trying to remember the exact time we did anything. Yet it seems harder to forget that moment when. This episode is dedicated to Renee, Dawn, Katie, Amber, Chris, Virginia, Annette, Rebecca, Veronica, my husband Jeremy, and my dad. Thank you for sharing your time with me. For all of the links and individuals mentioned in this series, check out my website, melaniescroggins.com, and click on over to the audio blog. You can click Creator Series in the right sidebar and listen to more stories. Thanks for listening. 